Full Metal RPG. I'm Richie Buzzkill. Here today, I have the great honor to introduce to you my good, good friend, Kayla. Hi, Kayla. You're on screen. Hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, we've been playing in the same group. If you've seen some of this, uh, some of my shows already, uh, you've got Noland and Sho- uh, Showalter. We all play in the same group. Uh, I've known Kayla since, uh, I don't know, I think it's been a decade now or plus. <laughs> <laughs> probably probably close yeah but uh you know all the all my friends all went to college together without me so like they picked up some new great friends and Kayla's one of them uh kayla is um doing a very new interesting job she's she's just now picked up and kayla can you can you introduce yourself a little bit here yeah, um, Kayla Balancefer. I am a licensed clinical social worker, uh, both in Washington, D.C. and in Virginia. And um, I have been working in the realm of mental health for a while now, about a decade. Um, and recently, I just started my own private practice here in Virginia, Um with the focus of using geek topics and geek therapy and most importantly, using RPGs in the individual and the group setting. Very nice. And when I heard that you were getting into it, cause I'd, I'd heard a little like in the wind, it's almost in the wind that somebody started talking. It's like, Oh, there's this RPG therapy thing. And you know, how people talk. And I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. And, I need to find somebody to talk about it. And then slowly but surely I start to hear oh, well, from Kayla, like, oh, well, I might be starting to, you know, taking these, this geek therapy, therapeutics training. And <laughs> I was like, oh, really? So <laughs> I've been anticipating this conversation. And that's the, that's the topic for the evening is this kind of like RPG therapy, geek therapeutics thing that Kayla has been doing. And uh, I'm really excited. I've been steepling my fingers and eagerly awaiting when you were ready to talk about this. So. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, as we've talked off camera and off mic, I could probably talk about this for a very, very long time. So we will try to cover the basics. I have recommended after seeing her notes for just the single show that she should start her own podcast (laughs) all about this, because I think she's very enthusiastic and you know, uh, I I want to I want to say something first before we really get into the topic, and that is a disclaimer. Okay, what we're going to talk to about here is not for amateurs. This is not. Do not try this at your own table. If you're having mental issues, and who isn't these days? Like seriously, just look out the window or think about the last couple of years. Please seek professional help. And I, I really, you know, really appreciate a professional coming on the show and talking to me about this. So. Yeah, definitely reiterate that. This is not intended to be a how-to video or talk topic. It's it definitely a, hey, this this exists in the therapy realm and um, therapists are starting to do it. And I can't wait to talk with you guys about it. But 
if you have a friend that's trying to do therapy on you, they're not a very good friend. And this is not something that you should ever try to do on your own friends. Like just don't. Yeah. Just don't. That's a, that's a great, (laughs) in in this day and age, we, we all try to analyze ourselves. You getting help is not. And, and by the way, anybody that's listened to enough podcasts know about uh, the online help ads that will be on every single, on every single podcast right now. We're not doing that. I don't do ads. And this is definitely not a lead up to an ad about that. So <laughs> just <laughs> fair, fair uh, accounting here. Um, so I kind of want to just get into an overview and, or do you, did you want to? No. Okay. Uh, I just You're leading get... this show. Huh? I said you're leading this, so go for it. Okay. Uh, I just want to get an overview of what kind of, what is this and kind of, I know you've been working with some people, so maybe mentioning those uh, people and, and seeing, um, you know, cause it, it's not what you think it is. That's, that's what really, after some of our earlier conversations is it, this is not just like, Hey, I'm a professional GM that also psychoanalyzes you like. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So initially I think people think of RPG therapy as like this new treatment modality, right? Like they're going to go in and somehow this is going to be different than other ways of therapy. And it's just focused on the RPG itself. Um, to clarify, that's not how we're running things. So um, we're coming from the therapist viewpoint and training first. So like for myself, I have a very heavy background in cognitive behavioral therapy. So baking that training, that evidence-based practice into the RPG setting. So I'll take things that I would try to the cognitive behavioral skills that I would try to take anyways and put those into an RPG game so that we're playing a game and we're having fun, but we're also coming from an evidence-based approach to work on skills and to have a therapeutic setting and a therapeutic environment. Right. So, so you're, you're doing a lot of work to get to the point where you're playing the game, playing a game as part of this, right? There, there's a lot of work to get to that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, from like from my side of things, so what did like how does a therapist get involved in something like this? One, you need to be a therapist. You need to go through the training. You need to. Um, Like you could still be in school and having supervision, but you need to be following the ethics of that um, profession and you need to be having your supervisions and making sure that like someone with a license is in charge of you. Um, The next thing, so you need to be a good therapist. And the next thing you need to do is you need to know the system that you're running or wanting to run in. So um, like if you're going to choose Dungeons and Dragons, then you need to know Dungeons and Dragons. You can't just like go in with kind of an idea of how that system works <laughs> and then how does grapple try to work? do therapy. How exactly. Does, how does grapple work? I, I can't <laughs> talk. Oh, you know, and, and uh, yes, you need to know the, but also, you know, I think you were talking about, there's also safety tools, right? There's super important 
for this right. as well. I <laughs> so mean, this is I, like the most important part. <laughs> very true. So um, with, I think that RPG games are doing a better job nowadays about making sure that they at least mention safety in some capacity at the table, um, which is awesome. But there's um, some more resources available now as well, like Monty Cook put out their um, Consent in Gaming, which is a wonderful um, PDF read. It's free, so I encourage anyone to like go access that and you can kind of read over like why Consent in Gaming is important, how you can develop that and use that in your table, what are some of the different methods that people are using, like the X card or lines and veils or the Luxton technique um, are some that come to mind. Uh, but regardless of what source you're pulling from or what thing you're using at your table, I think it's really important that all tables, not just therapeutic tables, but all tables in general have some type of safety and consent in their um, when they're running a game. And the reason that that's like super important is because what we know is that having experiences, having some experiences in the imaginary world that we create can sometimes butt up against triggers that we have in real life. And the, the big thing is people don't always know what that trigger is. Um, so they may say like, you may do a thing at the beginning where people have marked down topics that are no go for them. Um, But you might get into a game where someone is starting to get really triggered in the middle of the game for something they didn't know was going to be a trigger to them. So having that option of the X card or um, some some other way of giving them the out because they should always have the ability to consent out of the game um, is really important. I, I would never want to be running a game and have like, one of my friends seriously triggered by something that we were coming across and me not know it and not give them the opportunity to get out of it and have them have trauma from that game. Right. And, and and that's just part of, I mean, that's a basic tool that I I 100% stand behind that everyone should be using at every table. Uh, Because I mean, we've, we've been friends for, you know, a decade and I've been friends with, you know, my, some of these other people for, almost 35 years, like some of them. And I don't know everything that goes on day to day with their lives. Like that's just, and, and what could, you know, like things change in a day, things can change in an instant, like something could be remembered or whatever. It can be an issue. So please always use that. And that's something you're always going to use at these kind of tables. Um, But so can you tell me um, kind of how, how this kind of came up, like, do you know kind of how somebody kind of started doing this kind of therapy? Is that like, uh, it, you do like what kind of, cause we always say to not do this at tables, right? This is something that we've been telling people to not do for a long time and to, to, to take that and turn it on its head and have, you know, professionals do it. I think will be really beneficial because I think there's a lot of great work to be done here, but I also like, how did how did we get here? <laughs> yeah, so um, it's not like an entirely crazy concept out of left field. Um, when you talk about role playing games, like one of the things in it is role playing, and therapy for decades now has been using role play as a mode of therapy. 
So role-playing out scenarios um, to help discuss things typically one-on-one, but they also use like narrative therapy and retelling of stories and changing stories um, in group therapy settings as well. So I think it's kind of building off of that a little bit. Um, but I, another influence is that pe- therapists are getting into role-playing games, um, especially as role-playing games become more popular and therapists are sitting there and <laughs> taking a step back and saying, this would be so useful for me to use with my clients. Like I can see so many positive benefits that, I, that could come from this. So, um, just a couple years ago, like you couldn't find a whole lot of information on role-playing being utilized within the therapy realm. Now we have a lot of people working on research, um, trying to figure out like how this is used appropriately, like how the best way to do this is. And we have a lot of anecdotal reports from therapists as well. Um, I think now would be a really good time for me to let everyone know that this is a really new, really cutting edge research topic. So there isn't a whole lot of research out there. There is some things, um, but there, it's not like heavily studied, like cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectic behavior therapy. Um, Like those things have a strong evidence backing. We're at the beginning stages of that for RPG therapy. Um, not to say it's not coming and not to say that it's not helpful and useful in therapy. I just want to caveat that this is something that needs to be researched more. And thankfully, I know a lot of people that are working on their um, their thesis projects now trying to come up with ways in which we can get a better understanding of this. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's this, this portion of the field is just starting to grow out of those other other parts of therapy that you were talking, but also just kind of like as the, as RPGs have grown outside of their grognard backroom uh, origins into this more public arena, we've, we started to see more people being accepting. Cause I guarantee you, if somebody had said RPG therapy in the eighties, they would had, had a, a, someone burning witches in like, wait, we're not witches, but like, you know, it's like, the the people would have panicked even more as this this is you know as anything new can can trigger people to uh not want to experience it and want people to not do that thing um so great great so that uh it's something new to explore but there's been some successes so far in in kind of seeing using this as a a tool to move, help people. Right. So, yeah. So like funny enough, um, the, the eighties and the satanic panic and stuff actually started to like spur some research into, um, RPGs and like RPGs in therapy, even, um, that quickly died away. Um, I don't know if it's just because it was coming from a, like, this is bad and we should prove that it's bad. And then they, didn't prove that it was bad. So it kind of died off a bit. Um, but now with the like growing interest and the growing, um, research coming out, like there's things popping up even like with geek therapeutics, um, and also game to grow. Those are two, um, 
to companies that are doing actual trainings with therapists. Um, I'm not sure about Game to Grow, but I know Geek, Geek Therapeutics, which is what I went through, has a full-on certification program for um, therapists. So you become a, um, a certified game, a therapeutic game master is what they call it. Um, sorry, it's not certified. It's a therapeutic game master. Um, but you take like nine weeks worth of courses, you do a bunch of training hours and, um, the expectations are that you learn about how to do this in an appropriate manner. And then you're also every week participating in role-playing games and learning how to incorporate that in the therapy realm. Yeah. So you're, if you are looking into this, if you start to think, oh, well, this sounds like an interesting idea. Find someone that has gone through these courses that has all the certifications, proper therapy, therapy, therapist certifications, but also these kind of certifications and ask questions, <laughs> always ask questions of people that you want to, you know, that want you to be a part of that sort of thing. So, so great. That's, that's a great foundation to try and like, uh, so say I say somebody was willing to start this, right? How would you, how would you get started uh, with that sort of treatment, what, what, you know, what kind of sessions beforehand or, you know? Yeah. Um, I, every, every therapist that's running things does things just a little bit differently depending on their practice. But, um, I mean, first off I would start with like geek therapeutics or game to grow. They have therapist locators. So you can try to see like, if there's a therapist in your area, um, I know game to grow is running online stuff right now. Um, so you can potentially get into an online group, um, through them, but beyond that, like, you'll probably be looking at at least an individual session, um, just to like, go, go over with the therapist, um, like what your goals are for therapy and, uh, to talk a little bit more about the group setting, um, you'll also like probably start to do character development. Um, one of the things that I know the field is trying to do is make sure that there's not a barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know how to play the role-playing system that they are using, um, they are supposed to be expert experts in it. So they're supposed to know enough to be able to teach everyone at the table all at the same time. Um, you can expect a ses session zero on probably your first time that you're at the group. Um, where they can, they'll talk about boundaries and rules and expectations for the group, not just for like what y'all, y'all's characters have in common and such, but there will be some like group forming questions and making sure that everyone understands where like the no-go topics are, um, what, like what safety features are available at the table and general maintenance stuff for the actual group. Um, beyond that, I think that sessions are typically, I think that people are running like between 10 to 12 sessions with the group. Groups are usually closed. Um, most people are running between four and six people in a group, um, because any more than that gets very complicated. Right. Well, I, I was just thinking about that. Cause I was like, well, I would almost think that you'd want to go even uh, like a smaller game to try and concentrate on things, but I can sort of see trying to, to trying to form or design a group being almost a, a deeply interesting part of this to try and 
come up with people that would that their therapy all kind of works together. It, it, well, I mean, group therapy is a big thing, thing, right? That's that's a big segment of this kind of thing. But like to try and get people that would come together at a table and have have these experiences, right? Is that yeah, I. I think one of the biggest things is making sure that people are developmentally appropriate, like developmentally the same realm beyond that. um, Like they don't necessarily, you don't have to run a depression group, like where everyone has depression and that's what we're Mm. working on. You could have people that have um, a mix of things because everyone's different. My anxiety might be different than your anxiety and trying to like the goals that we have would be different. But the idea is that the therapist knows what each individual's goals are and then can encourage to have things within the game, like can plan encounters around what those goals are to be able to trigger learning moments for that or to like help scaffold those um, those skills into the therapeutic setting. And like when you watch people run therapeutic games, it doesn't always look different than (laughs) like a normal tabletop RPG that anyone else is running, except for you have a therapist there that can like stop and ask questions about what's going on and process through um, and, and help people kind of like look at things in a different way. And I think that's one of the great things about RPGs is that they, they give us a little bit of buffer zone between like, looking at ourselves and our own problems and then looking at our characters and some of the problems that our characters go through. Cause it's a lot easier for me to criticize and, and call out things that are going on with a character, but it starts to feel a little bit more like I'm being personally attacked if I'm talking about my own weaknesses. Right. So is, is that part of when you are making characters, are you guiding them to certain kinds of, uh, 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 well, I, I, I mean, I'm assuming Dungeons and Dragons is part of this. I mean, just because it's the biggest role-playing game in the world. But, like, are you choosing systems or looking at systems and, and character creation that helps you create characters that have certain attributes that you can kind of they can they can explore at the table? Is that is that part of uh you know to uh, making characters or even choosing a game for a group. So I, I know a lot of people don't limit like what character you can make, but I think that what we know about just humans in general is it's going to be very hard to not make a character that doesn't have some aspect of you, whether it is something that you would like, like to be or something that's very similar to who you are, or someone that is completely opposite and you just want to test out like the oppositeness, there's going to be something that reflects who you are within that character. Um, I think it's hard to get away from that entirely. So um, it, like the long answer to that question is no, we, you can create what character you want to, but as a therapist, I'm going to be asking questions about why you made decisions to make your character in the way that you did um, to get a better understanding of how you relate to that character. Right. So you're, you're asking, yeah. So you're building up kind of information about their choices on their character as part. And this, I, I think this is frankly a good idea for anyone is just asking like, Hey, do you want to highlight this thing? You've obviously spent a lot of time on making a character that has 
you know, that's a ranger that's uh, the best in the mountains. Well, clearly I need to be, I need to put mountains in my game. Well, that's kind of taken to another granular, granular level, I'm assuming, in this sort of uh, therapy is, is, is dealing with kind of uh, characters and, and, and what they want to do and why they would want to do it and being able to have people kind of step back and look at their themselves, look at the character and then look using that to look at themselves. Is that kind of. Yeah. So I, like, I would want to know like more about why, like why that was important to them and what they were thinking when they came up with those different aspects of their character. Um, like what are they thinking when they set their charisma level? What are they thinking when they set their strength level? Um, kind of getting a better idea around that, but always going back to what are your goals for therapy? So that I have an understanding of how to use the choices that you've made. Um, so in a way that is going to benefit you through the therapy process. Right. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It makes <laughs> a lot. It, it makes a lot of sense. And, that's why this is this is for professionals only. And there's a lot of balancing going on here. A lot of uh, 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 interest, you know, things that I have no idea. I mean, I I could guess, but I shouldn't. That's that's the point. Is this is this is a much more uh, delicate situation than your typical like let's let's have some beer and pretzels and uh, and and roll some dice kind of thing. So. Right. And I know like most of the therapists that are doing this, like are exhausted after a two hour session, which is like, seems like a baby session to, like to some, some games. So like, I know for our, like my, my personal fun games usually run four hours um, at least. And that's uh, like, sometimes we'll get weekend games that run even longer than that. Um, but because it is so much balance on the therapist and so many things you need to negotiate, um, most people cap off at like an hour and a half session with like half an hour of, um, processing afterwards. Right. And, and I, I think we, we have sort of experienced that somewhat in the everyone moving online is it's a much more intense situation, but so you're multiplying that by probably like 10, when you're getting into that, like, especially if you're the game master, you're not only thinking about running a game, but also kind of what the repercussions of that for the people around the table in this kind of like therapy environment. Um, so, uh, I mean, you're, you're designing, you're obviously kind of looking at designing these sessions to be a certain length or a certain time, like, how would you, how do you kind of go about, like, say you have a, a, a group or something, how would you go about like designing a session? Uh, is it just a typical game session or are we looking at adding uh, some kind of uh, extra, um, something extra motivations behind certain NPCs and stuff like that? Yeah. So um, like I said, it's probably going to look a lot like just a normal table when you're sitting down and playing. And that's kind of the beauty of it is that people get into that, right? They're into the storyline. We know groups are super effective, but normal groups have a dropout rate of like 30 to 60% depending. So that's not great. Um, you need to be at therapy to get any benefit from therapy. Right. Um, but like, 
it's getting people immersed in the story and getting that buy-in and like having the very real feelings of being attached to that character. And um, there's a term in, uh, in the gaming realm. Um, I'm not sure if Dr. Bowman came up with it to begin with or not, but like of bleed. Mm. So um, like you can see character bleed both in like when your emotions affect how your character is behaving, that would be considered bleed in. Um, when your character's emotions start affecting or the things that are going on in the game even start affecting your own personal emotions, we call that bleed out where mm-hmm. there's no longer that boundary. Um, and so like you can think of bleed out as empathy, right? You're having empathy for <laughs> for what's going on in the game. Right. But also that's where like a lot of the therapy work is going to happen is us addressing some of that bleed out and like, why is that triggering and how can we learn from that and how can we grow from that? Yeah, I've definitely experienced bleed. Like I played 10 candles and had to go home and like hug my wife <laughs> because of uh, what happened to certain NPCs in the in the game, and it was it was uh, it was pretty intense. And I could see if you, especially if you're running like intense hour, two hour sessions, like you can really, like if everybody's on board, like things can get really uh, 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 going intense in those kind of short times. And I, I sort of that's sort of where I lean with running games now, anyways. Is I much prefer a shorter session to get more people's energy on board with the whatever we're doing (laughs) and then we'll have like we'll just chill out afterwards like but you're you're talking about it in more you know you're having a session after the session it's almost (laughs) yeah so like to kind of conceptualize that right like i might have someone with social anxiety at the table who um maybe one of their therapeutic goals is to um, gain more confidence to be able to talk to people, um, better to be able to like be comfortable in that. Um, and like, so one of the, one of the things we see in therapy is like knowing that you can do that in the real life is extremely beneficial to reducing your anxiety around that. So like, if you think about like, uh, Harry Potter, when he has that moment, like where he cast his Patronus after struggling so much. And he's like, well, I did, I did it. Cause I knew I, I had already done it. We're kind of channeling some of that. Um, and so like, I might have someone with, with social anxiety who um, I need to now put into a social setting. Well, basically anything that we do in D and D has the potential to put them in a social setting. So let's say, you guys are are going into a bar. You have to go, go up and like, there's a bunch of strangers, right? So you have to order a drink, order food. Um, maybe there is a, some type of competition going on. Maybe you have to sing karaoke. Like, so there may be skills checks in that there, there might be like, see, like, see how your character does. And then after, after that, it's the processing of like, well, how was that? Like, did you think it was as bad as you thought it was going to be? Um, and how do you feel that your character handled those things and asking questions to kind of guide, like learning from that experience. So, um, other things that you might hear at the end of a group might be like, what is one thing that you learned from your character today? 
so that you can process back and reflect on something that your character did that you can take moving forward into the real world. Um, what was one thing that you learned or liked or didn't like that another character did today? Um, and that's where we can kind of like take in group things. So right. people can notice like, oh, I thought it was really cool when this character did whatever um, because it really helped the group out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, 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 you're, you're kind of, yeah, as things are happening in the game, you're then talking. And, and this is something that is somewhat happened in a lot of, you know, when you get experience points in a lot of world of darkness games is like, Hey, I, I my character learned that this dude was this, and that may means that I'm able to do this. Right. So it's that same kind of like, taking the things in the session and breaking them down and talking about them afterwards as, as part of this. Right. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very directed um, like processing after the group. Um, Not to say that like all of the learning is happening in that processing because it's not the, the learning is happening throughout the whole game. We just want to make sure that the things that we're bringing attention to are things that like will help stick with the person. Right. So, um, what kind of, uh, people, what kind of diagnoses kind of benefit from this, this, uh, kind of therapy? Is it, is there, is yeah, it, um, so like it, it depends on the therapist that's running, like what kind of groups that they're running. But, um, the only ones that like I've heard through my trainings and through talking with other professionals, like it sounds like most diagnoses are being seen like anxiety, depression, um, social skills is a big one. So like people on the spectrum, um, getting, getting help with different social skills, normal people getting help with social skills. Um, we have one person who does a lot of trainings that, uh, she specifically runs girl groups, um, for like middle school girls and working with them on empowerment and having a voice and being able to say no, um, and just in general, being nicer to each other. Right. So, um, <laughs> there are people that are running, uh, veteran groups and like oh. addressing PTSD within, um, within the, the veteran group realm, um, which I think is super cool. Again, kind of hearkening back to, just make sure that the people are like developmentally appropriate to be together. Cause I wouldn't want someone that's like a middle schooler running with a war veteran who's there for PTSD. <laughs> like that could be a little it's imbalanced. A different, different. That's a different, that the Venn diagram of that shouldn't overlap as, as amusing as that sounds uh, <laughs> right. as, a, as, as a comic. It does not sound like a great idea in the real world. <laughs> So, yeah, keeping that in mind, but I think that, like, you would be very hard-pressed to find anyone willing to attempt this with, like, people that are dealing with psychosis. Mm. Um, Maybe that person exists, and, like, I I would say that they would have to have some pretty significant training around that. um, Right. Because I think it could get very dangerous very quickly. Not that any of this couldn't get dangerous very quickly in the wrong hands, but... um, yeah, that would make me nervous as just like what knowledge I have. Again, it might exist and maybe someone has enough training to do that, but that makes me nervous. Fair enough. Fair enough. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, 
that's the whole that's it's all of this i mean just see disclaimer earlier it's just it, it can um really uh this needs to be done very carefully and very professionally and um yeah i uh i think i think it's it's a very interesting subject um is there before we get to the patron prompts is there anything else you want to talk about before we get to the questions from the patrons uh um I don't, I don't think so. Like it just really any questions. Um, I'm like I said, this is a really cool topic for me. So I would say like, if you're really interested in the idea and you think that it could help you, um, definitely reach out and get the support. Uh, it's been a hell of a two years. So like even before that, like things have been rough, but the last two years specifically have been really rough and you are definitely not alone. And you are having more exacerbated feelings. Um, I know a lot of people that have never sought t- treatment before are really um, coming out in droves at this point because it's like, it's been a lot. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And that's why I introduced the subject the way I did. So, um, but uh, our lovely patrons here, my lovely, our lovely patrons, the crew's lovely patrons has some questions and I'm going to start with me poor and it's like, how does that work? And I'm like, well, see previous half an hour of conversation, but is there anything else you want to talk that we didn't get into that, that you might uh, think as, as an overview is how's this work? Yeah. Um, like, I think that we covered a lot of it already. Um, there's obviously a whole lot more that could be said, but I think like some things that I will highlight to everyone, things that we do know from research. Um, and one of the things I'm most excited about, given that I work with kids that are like middle school age and high school age, is that um, one of the research things found that the RPGers are actually about one-tenth the risk of suicide as their non-gaming peers, which is amazing. Um especially when you consider that according to the CDC that the like for younger people this is suicide is now the second leading cause of death so it's yeah it's a big deal um getting treatment to our younger population is really important um so i think that this could be really great we also know from research that um rpgers have a tendency to be more empathetic and have more empathy towards others, which I think is always a good thing in life. I, I think they need to talk to a few more people, but I think that's mostly true from the people I would play with. But there are definitely people that do not have more empathy that I would come across. But uh, Right. And that's a kind of a like statistically, um, statistically different. So you're right. still going to have gamers that do not have empathy. Right. Um, yeah, but I think with, uh, especially with the kids, like from what I understand, like they've basically all been isolated through most of their most, like two years is a huge amount of time and any person under 18, like, you know, they're, it's just like, and they're the school process of socializing has been a, is a huge part of growing up. And having those groups and all that, uh, no matter how much I would have not like, I would have liked to not been bullied, uh, over and over again as a, as a kid in school, I also met a lot of people, you know, lifelong friends that I'm still talking to. So I can certainly understand why a lot of children are having trouble right now. And, uh, 
maybe just maybe you should ask your kids, anybody that's listening, that maybe that if they need to talk to some people. So, <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's how like using RPGs to get the kids interested because it's anyone that has kids this age know that like like from a therapy standpoint, they don't want to talk to me usually like until I'm engaged with the things that they like, they don't want to talk to me because they think this is stupid. Um, but most kids really like playing games. So getting them involved in something that's interested, even if they're just there to learn social skills and to learn confidence, um, those are things they can pick up in a therapeutic RPG game. Right. Um, Kirby, they, them, there are a few reputable programs out there designed for by psychiatrists who also play the RPGs for use by therapists in a therapy group therapy. However, it is also common for younger RPG players to think that it's safe to do this with their friends, and it's just not. So more of a statement, but I think we sort of agreed with that. But if there's anything you want to say, yeah, more just about. just don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Tin Man Prime, he, him, been interested in this for a while, but only barely looked into it. So I'm excited to, uh, see the topic. Uh, I'd love to know basic stuff like whether it tends to work better for, with trad or, uh, familiar systems like, uh, D&D or even Hero Kids or even PBTA or Diceless approach, uh, approaches are better for group and therapy. So, Kind of like what systems uh, kind of get this lens to. I think we talked about it a little bit, but I think we get a little, a little deeper. Yeah. Um, so I have the really annoying answer of that depends. Like <laughs> <laughs> the therapist should be going from a treatment, uh, like a, a treatment centered approach first. So know the treatment, know how you like what your therapy goals are, and then look to how you can incorporate that in a system. But that being said, I've seen it incorporated with a lot of systems. Um, So it like, as long as the therapist knows the system and knows what the treatment goals are and is able to incorporate those, I, I don't see barriers to using it with one system versus another. Um, I've like part of my training, we used it in alien, which is a wild system to think about. For <laughs> seeing. Um, but I can definitely see the, the potential benefits, especially when you're looking at the veteran population and getting them engaged in a game. Um, I think that kids on bikes is a wonderful system. I think it's got a lot of potential, um, especially like the more narrative driven, um, I think that a lot of people are using Dungeons and Dragons because it's so well-known, um, but also because it's so well-known, it has this glorious effect of once someone's through the therapy piece and no longer needs to be in therapy, it's really easy for them to go to their local game store and get involved in a D&D game or to continue that with their friends and have like a community to join in with. Um as lovely as some of these indie RPG games are, I know that it's kind of difficult sometimes to find people that want to engage and play in those. And so I think that's why you're seeing a lot of that with therapists. Um, also, it's really nice, like programs like D&D Beyond, um, to have access to that because some people are really bad at math and some people have really bad anxiety over being bad at math or having to like do that in the moment. So having something set up that they can just push a button and it does the math for them. And then they can just like continue on in that immersion is really helpful. 
Yeah, the, having the the computer involved to deal with all of the overhead, I think would be very uh, helpful. And I think that sort of gets into his uh, uh, second question is like, is what what I mean is better in most cases when the more clear structure and hard rules versus open ended, right? But you're choosing as as the as a therapist, you're choosing things that you're comfortable with as a tool, right? So. Uh, and you might choose a game if you're familiar with it that's more a certain direction for a certain group. If Correct. You're, if you, but like you said earlier, you kind of have to become an expert in that game to to run it with a plum and and have exactly everything. So there's no question, right? Right, because you don't want to be like trying to provide therapy and then like in your rule book, looking up rules, especially with games like Dungeons and Dragons, where there's hundreds of pages that you have to flip through of like what's going on. You don't want to have to do that. So definitely, if you're considering this as a therapist, do not make the first time that you GM be in your therapy <laughs> setting. Like that's like, don't do that. Run with friends, go online, get some experience. And then then you sit in a group. Yes, absolutely. Get some practice, get, get up to date. And then, you know, if you're a therapist and you've been trained, get it, give it a go. And I'm sure the training involves doing all those things anyways. So, right. Yeah. you. I, it's wonderful community that I've gotten wrapped up in. Um, we have an active discord. So like if you're a therapist, like there's people that you can check in with, you can get supervisions from, you can practice within your ethical limits. Um, because this is a new thing, obviously supervision is very important for us. So, um, but yeah, just know what you're doing first. Um, the best rule that I've gotten around this is to be a good therapist and a good enough GM. So you should have understanding of both, but like you need to make sure that you are solid in your therapy first. All right. Uh, some guy called the show. I don't know who this guy is. I, I may or may not know who this is. Anyway, he, him, GM, which is an interesting way of having pronouns. Anyways, uh, how, how does it, how to does, uh, how does this form a therapy therapy work? And when uh, the different players are presumably struggling with different issues. And I think we got into that a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that we've talked about that. Like, I just want to remind everyone that like, it, we're all different people, right? So <laughs> my issues are not going to be the same as anyone else's issues. Um, so it, it's a, important, like I said, to just like, make sure that you're doing that individual session and evaluating what's appropriate for your groups and having that solid therapy understanding. Okay. Um, and I think we've covered his other two questions. So he he can he can rant at us later. Anyways, uh under a bridge, uh what is the thing as a therapist that you see GMs not doing that you feel like they should or shouldn't be doing? Um yeah, so I think we've covered this as well. Uh I have seen tables that do not use safety tools. Um and I think that sets up a potential for a really bad experience for people. Um, even people that know how to use safety tools sometimes forget um, they don't do that. And I think that just like going back to everyone should have the right to consent in and the right to consent out at any time during the game, because we just don't know. Like I 
generally feel like I don't really have anything like no-go topics. And then we get into like some game where (laughs) there's like blatant animal cruelty. And I was like, "Mm, nope, that's not for me. Uh, We need to not like animal cruelty can be in this world. That's fine. But I don't need to see that on screen. Um, So like people might not know until you're in game, like I said, and just making sure that you have the safety tools and that people know that because we have people coming to the, the gaming realm new all the time. It's like, it's definitely a growing hobby and I want them to stay. I want them to feel safe and welcome and stay and have fun. The more people that we have in this means the more times I get to try out new games and get to, you know, have a fun experience with people. So just make sure that it's safe. Right. And I I think to add on to that, um, I think we need to normalize safety tools in that, like, if you really don't like a direction, like somebody's describing something, even if you don't, or you want to add to their description, just using the, you know, the X card or using, you know, whatever the safety tool is that is like the at the table safety tool, because there's a lot of great tools that are before the game to prepare it, right? But there's, you know, there's a few XO, red light, green light, you know, you know, stuff like that where, you know, like, Hey, you know, pressing the X card. Hey, uh, what if you, instead of, uh, you know, jumping, jumping off the cliff with the rope between your teeth, maybe you should, you know, <laughs> maybe you should, uh, you know, use a, a rock <laughs> instead and then swing around the other side or something like when you give normalizing that idea, making it something that's normal, because I think that's one of the problems with safety tools is when somebody hits the the pause button essentially is or the the x button to say no right it's it's this like kind of like intrusion into the environment where if you have just any moment like hey you know if you want to speak during somebody else's turn or what they're describing maybe push put your hand out there or or put your arms across or whatever to try and get some attention to, to add your suggestion to the idea uh, just to normalize the idea. I think that's important. And I don't, I don't, that's why a lot of people I don't think like it is it's like, Oh, hit the big red button, like cancels slow, you know, everything down. So, right. I have a couple of things on that one. Like you don't want to upset or trigger your friends. So like having that disruption to the the line of process is maybe not the worst thing in the world if it means that your friend is protected, right? Right. It, yes. Um, secondly, there's so many options available on how you implement safety tools at your table that I think that it like get creative with it, figure out how it's going to work well for you. I had a, a GM that... Um, part of her she was running call of cthulhu game and she like took a thing where we were all um like roles of a movie set or a tv show or something um and her thing was she used lines and veils and if we were um if we were getting up on a like if we were in a veil area where we didn't want that to be on camera 
um, we had a certain thing we could do. So it, it was Cthulhu. We could request for this like Miskatonic University book. And if that came up in the like time in, in the conversation at all, someone said Miskatonic University book, that kind of like steered the conversation mm. away from wherever it was headed. Um, and then if someone hit a, a line and they needed like to not be part of that anymore, um, they could say, well, I'm going back to the trailer. So it was within the realm of like what we were already talking about. It wasn't like we were getting pulled fully out of the system, um, but we had a way to protect our own psychological safety. Um, In therapy, it's a little different because when I, I kind of want to know when we're hitting, hitting those moments, because I kind of want to process that with them. Um, So it's it's probably a little bit different when you're at a therapy table, but I would say like, I would challenge anyone that's like, even if you're already running a game and you have not established the safety tools within your game to figure out what's going to work at your table and to just have that conversation with your people so that they have an out. Um, I know it would be extremely useful. I know it has been extremely useful at our tables. Um, And it's just, it's a good thing to do. You're a good friend if you do that. Yeah. And and yeah, I I agree with that. And it's every table needs to figure out how to implement that different, you know, so it works for them. And I just, I'm just thinking of like one of the things that, cause, cause running conventions and other events where I have tried to say mandatory, like we're in this public space, you need, we need to have this. And I've had GMs rebel, like literally say, we're not coming. Like, a bunch of them because you're saying we're having that card. Now that was years ago. The last time when we did it, there was not as much rebellion, but I think it's become GMs or creative it, people. Like you can figure out how to use this in a creative way. Right. And I, you know, as, as someone that, you know, likes horror games and other games where things can get really weird. I think having it is a, tool so that you know you're on even good footing right because that's that's the other part of the safety tool thing is like you know i might go a little further it, it, at my home table if i have that safety tool than i might otherwise have because i think it's important for the story or whatever but like also like if somebody wants to bail out i can quickly <laughs> i can quickly just like reel it back and go another way like but it's it's getting practice, knowing it, and everybody should be aware and ha- be using these things. So, Right. Yeah. That's just a challenge. Just see how it can fit in your table. Like, I think your players will really appreciate it. I know that some of us, like, like I said, some of us are real chill about that and like, don't have a lot of things that, um, that are going to trigger, but some of us do. And some of us don't, haven't told you about like our trauma in our childhood, even if you're the best of friends. So it, you don't want to be that person that just like steamrolls someone's trauma through a game. Right. Exactly. So, Ooh, yeah, no, I feel like I've been, been through a little, <laughs> this, uh, Kayla, is there anything else you would like to talk about before I take care of some business at the end here? Nope. I think that we, we, I mean, I have m- many more things we could talk about, but <laughs> in right. respect of time, right. I am good. Well, 
Well, uh, and I highly encourage you, after seeing your notes, to either start writing the book you need to write or start a podcast or do both because they were awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to give them to anybody else, but I think you should put them out there. So You know what? I actually am going to shout out one thing that I think will be helpful for everyone that's listening. If you are looking to see how DMs can help their friends at the table without going into like the therapy realm, right? Just being a better DM at the table. Um, Dr. Megan Connell has a YouTube channel. It's called Psychology at the Table. Maybe give it a look. Okay, well, I'll put a link to that in the in the show notes as well as uh, a link to your uh, business that you're starting uh, on the East Coast. Uh, and you can see if you can help some people that way. So awesome. Excellent. Excellent. So the patron, I want to first, I want to shout out the patrons. The patrons made this possible. They gave me excellent questions. They are they are driving, driving the show forward. I I'm I am you know move, trying to move it and they're the ones giving me the power to move it. So um, I really appreciate uh, Patreon.com/slash/FullMetalRPG. Um, you know I've I've updated it finally. I know that there if you listen to this long enough that you know that that the the levels have not been updated in a long time. I've updated them. Basically, you get uh, into the secret Discord uh, channel when you become a patron. Uh, I I don't have control of certain other aspects of um, being able to discount the T-shirts and other things. But I, I really when the only place I ask for questions for the show is in the secret Discord channel. And, you know, you you come come be a zealot on the Discord and ask interesting questions and you make the show uh, better. So I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, you guys are the best. I'm <laughs> just saying. <laughs> like, um, speaking of t-shirts, uh, the Wolfmungus season t-shirt is, is over. Uh, I'm going to pull it down right after the show. You've got a couple extra weeks, but you don't know that because you won't see this for at least three or four days. Anyways, uh, but I will have a new t-shirt by our good friend, Ken Duhat, and, uh, that, uh, that will go up, uh, about the time this episode goes up, but go see it. If you're a fan of maybe some old school logos of, from our, from our game, from our, the long, long ago in the seventies, maybe you'll like this logo that's going to come up on a t-shirt. And speaking of other t-shirts, like I got my, uh, dare style t-shirt cause because Dare told us all about drugs and how to do drugs, where I'm about telling you all about using RPGs and how to how to play them. So I really like this shirt, and I want more people to wear it. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much, Kayla. I really appreciate you. I w- want to have you back on or to talk about the subject again uh, when you you know have some, get get more things going on. So. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much, Kayla. Good night. Good night. Ah. <laughs>